0: It's the Feast of the Holy Trinity, so today we take a look at the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. Again, in the time we've got for a sermon, it's really difficult. This is the most difficult topic to preach on and give a clear explanation without saying something heretical. And uh, so we're going to use the same kind of stuff I've gone through in years before because it's actually doable Uh, We'll rely especially on St. Augustine's treatment of the Most Holy Trinity, his explanation, and we'll rely heavily on, on Frank Sheed as well, simply because it's doable. Now, before we get into that, we've got to keep in mind this problem that we've got with our imaginations. When we're dealing with spiritual realities, we don't want to let our imaginations mislead us. Remember, our imaginations are made to picture material realities, we can think of things, you know. We talk about a blue moon or, or a beautiful sunset or all that. We can have this image in our imagination, that picture that we can change. We can have a full moon or a quarter moon, all these things that we can do with them. That's an imagination. That's the picture-making facility. Because we're creatures of body and soul, we need to be able to do that because we have to deal with material reality. So we have to be able to make pictures of them. That's the imagination. Our intellect which is where we understand that spiritual concepts, those don't have pictures, like what does justice or truth or beauty look like? Okay, Those are immaterial spiritual concepts that we understand in our intellect. Our imagination deals with material realities, but our intellect is where we grasp uh, spiritual realities. So, because many aspects of our faith are spiritual realities, like angels, for example, or the Most Blessed Trinity, any image we make of them is going to be wrong as soon as you make the image. We can't help making an image. If we think about angel, we can't help having an image, whether it's the word angel, whether it's a picture of some guy with wings, whatever it is. We can't help making an image, but the image is wrong. It doesn't mean the reality isn't. We, we learned this when we had geometry. When you had geometry when you are a kid, and you're sitting there and you're, and you're making geometric points, you learn about geometric point. It doesn't occupy any space. So you keep sharpening your pencil and making a smaller and smaller dot, but you realize that's all. No matter how small I make the dot, that dot still spread out because you can't help making an image. You have this. You think about a geometric point. You're going to get a point, but then you realize that's the image I have. That's not what a geometric point is. So I can understand it, even though I realize my picture of it is already wrong. So that's it. We don't want to be misled by our imaginations any time we're, we're dealing with uh, spiritual realities because our imagination can't depict spiritual realities. And of course, the Most Blessed Trinity is the pure spirit. So any image we make is already going to be wrong right out the gate. We can't help it, but it's wrong, so let's not be misled. Okay. Now, what we're going to do is try to pack uh, an explanation of the central mystery of our faith in about uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Now, we could spend a whole semester... Uh, in, in a theology course in seminary where you don't I mean even at, when you're done you're only left in a more luminous darkness so let's not be under any illusions that when we're done with this we're going to understand everything Huh? even in all eternity we're not going to be able, be able to comprehend this because we have limited minds with our limited minds we're trying to grasp something infinite and that's God So we want to be humble about this. It doesn't mean that we're not going to learn something, but we want to be humble and say, it's not all going to fall into place where you go, oh, I totally get it. If you totally get it, I've done a terrible job. (laughs) Because you shouldn't totally get it. Because you can't totally get it. But don't feel bad. The only one that can totally get it is God. Okay, so before we get going, those are three terms we want to make sure we have a good handle on. Mystery, nature, and person. Now, when we're talking about mystery in a theological sense, theological mystery, we don't mean what we mean in ordinary speech. Which is, That's a mystery without a clue. It's pointless to even think about it. God doesn't reveal things to us like the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity that he doesn't want us to think about. So we don't go, oh, well, mystery, no worries. That, a mystery is something that we want to think about. A mystery of the faith has been revealed by God precisely because He wants us to think about it, or He wouldn't have told us about it, but it has to do with something that we can't fully understand. We can keep on thinking about a mystery like the Holy Trinity, and we get deeper and deeper into it, and hopefully, please God, we can all get to the beatific vision, and even for all eternity, we'll be getting deeper and deeper into this mystery because we'll be in contact with it, but even in all eternity, we can't wrap our minds our finite minds around the infinite God, huh? So mystery of our faith is an inexhaustible truth. It's a truth that we think about forever and keep understanding more and more details about, but we'll still never get it all. So that's mystery. Nature. Suppose we're sitting out there in the woods and we hear this crashing noise and we wonder, what is that? Is that a falling tree? Is it a grizzly bear? Is it a mountain lion? Uh, or in Kansas, uh, I don't know, a coyote, I guess. What is that? You're wondering, what is that thing? When we ask the question, what is it, we're asking a question about natures. Now, nature is a philosophical term, meaning the whatness of something. We're saying, what is that? When we ask that, fish have fish nature. So they swim and they breathe water and so forth. Birds have bird nature. They They have feathers. They lay eggs. Men have human nature. That means we have a body and an immortal soul, okay? A body and an immortal soul. We can walk and talk and laugh and think. In ordinary language, nature answers the question, what is it? Nature also determines what can it do? What can a fish do, you know, uh, swim, breathe water, and so forth. Nature determines what is it and what can it do? So that's nature, the whatness of something. Person. We're out there. We're sitting at home, and we hear a knock on the door. You know, let's see. We're out. We don't go. What was that? Was that? We'd say, "Who's there?" Nobody goes. What was that? When they hear a knock on the door, they say, "Who's there?" Why? Because we already know what nature we're dealing with. We're dealing with the human nature. Someone's come by to visit, and they're knocking on the door. They push the doorbell. Okay, we already know what nature we're dealing with. We say, "Who's there?" Who is a question about a person. We're asking who? We're asking about persons. Nature determines what something is and what it can do. A person is something that does something. That's who's knocking. That's who's doing this particular thing. We all have a common nature. Everyone in here has human nature. The body, an immortal soul. We can laugh, we can think, we can talk, we can listen. But a particular person does it. You're sitting, not your nature. You're listening, I hope, not your nature. I'm talking, not my nature. Who am I? Father Wolf. That's who I am. My nature isn't talking. Because I have a human nature, I can talk. Well, my nature doesn't do anything. I do something, okay? Your nature isn't doing anything either. You are doing something. So the person is the actor. Alright, now, we, you know, I mean, we don't ask, we can see, I, I, I wrote one other thing, we don't ask who is that when we see it, you know, like a carpet or a new vegetable. Who's that? You know, you say, what's that? Why? Because animals, vegetables, minerals, carpets, these aren't persons. They have a nature, but they don't, they're not persons. What are persons? Persons have a rational nature, okay? Rational natures, they can know and love. So persons can know and love. That means there's three kinds of persons because there's three possibilities there. Humans can know and love. Angels can know and love. Some can know and hate. And divine persons can know and love. That's it. Those are the three rational natures. Human, angelic, divine. Okay, so nature tells us what is it, what can it do. person tells us who is it who's actually doing it. OK, A mystery? It's this inexhaustible truth that we can never completely understand, even through all eternity, we can penetrate deeper in as we're contemplating. And of course, God is the infinite spirit, so we're definitely never going to be able to completely comprehend him. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want us to know him. Okay? Our imagination makes pictures. We just don't want to get misled by these pictures. We want to be looking through when we're dealing with spiritual realities and say, what's the truth behind it? And not start penciling it out based on the picture we've made in our imagination. We want to try to understand with our intellect and not worry too much about the picture we've made. Okay. Having said that, let's start talking about the Most Holy Trinity. God's knowledge... And his love are infinite. Since God's knowledge is infinite, what is it that he thinks about? Since his love is infinite, whom does he love? What does God think about? God has an idea. He only has one idea he already knows everything he isn't going to learn anything and he certainly isn't going to forget anything he's God he only has one idea it can never change already before we go any farther we can see how different that is for us because we think with discursive thoughts we go from one thought to another to another and we flow along Not in God. His idea never changes. He's not going to come to a new idea. He's not going to get new light on the subject. He's not going to penetrate deeper. He has this one idea. He's infinite. Infinite is another word for no limits. No limits at all. Which means, parenthetically, he's the only infinite being. There can only be one God. Because if you had two limitless beings, one would be a limit on the other. You can think about that later. Let's stay with this right now. Okay. God's infinite, and he has his infinite intellect. The only thing that an infinite mind could think about that's even worth thinking about is the infinite being. What does that mean? It means that the idea that God has in his mind, in his infinite mind, his idea he has of himself. And that can't change. He doesn't change. His idea can't change. His idea is eternal as he is. He didn't suddenly think of it. Here's another extraordinary thing. The idea God has of himself must be absolutely perfect. Why? Because he already knows everything. So what does that mean? That means that what's ever in God must also be in his idea of himself. Whatever is in God must also be in his idea of himself. And it must be exactly the same as it is in himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a clear idea of himself. He'd be ignorant about himself, and that's ridiculous, because he's God. Okay? So everybody got that? God has this idea. Whatever is in God must be in his idea of himself, and it has to be exactly the same as his idea as it is in himself, otherwise God wouldn't know himself. That's impossible. That's so much different than our kind of ideas that it's impossible for us to imagine. But we don't want to worry about our imaginations. We can understand it, even if we can't comprehend it. We just can't imagine it. Okay, now it gets even more interesting. Any idea we have is a thing. Ideas are things. Idea of truth is a thing. Idea of justice is a thing. This is not the case with God. Why not? Since whatever is in God must be in his idea of himself, and since it must be exactly the same in his idea as it is in himself, this means that since God can know and love, his idea of himself must be able to know and love. Since God can know in love, his idea must be able to know in love. In other words, his idea is not a thing, because things don't know in love. Persons can know in love. His idea is a person. And there's more. An idea isn't just floating off in space somewhere, huh? Ideas don't drift off. They're in, inside the thought mind of the thinker, a thought is in the mind of a thinker, huh? So this one idea of God has to be in the same identical nature as the thinker. So God's idea of himself is a person, but it's in the same nature. God has conceived within his own nature, his infinite nature, a perfect, infinite idea, which because it is an idea, is completely within his nature. And because it's a perfect idea of himself, It completely contains his nature. His idea, God's idea of himself, is an eternal, unchanging idea. The eternal, unchanging word. The thinker is the first person of the Most Holy Trinity, the Father. And the idea of the word is the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, the Son. So what does God think about in his infinite mind? He thinks about himself. Alright, so God thinks about himself, but whom does he love? When we have a great idea, we might even have a beautiful idea. We can admire it, we can dwell in it, we can even fall in love with it, but it's still only a thing. Our ideas certainly can't return our love. But as we've seen, God's idea of himself, this eternal word... It's not something, but it's some one. His idea is a person, the second person, the most holy trinity. Just as God is absolute and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love, so also his idea is absolutely and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love. And so the thinker, the Father, and the Word, the Son, love each other with a perfect and infinite love. Each person pours himself out totally towards the other, holding nothing back. And this love that the Father and the Son have for each other is eternal. It's unchanging. They don't fall more or less in love. It's unchanging. It's infinite. It has every perfection they do. It's a person, someone, the third person of the Most Holy Trinity. And of course, the love that the Father and the Son have for each other totally fills their nature, producing a third person from all eternity. But again, where is this love found? It's within the same divine nature. So the second person, the Word, the Son, proceeds from the Father by way of the intellect. The third person, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, proceeds from the Father and the Son by way of the will. One divine nature, it's totally expressed as thinker, totally expressed as word, totally expressed as love. One divine nature, three divine persons. One divine nature, three divine persons. What are you? It's a question about nature. God. Who are you? It's a question about persons. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. These are three distinct persons, but not three separate persons. It's very important. Three distinct persons, not three separate persons. They don't share the divine nature. They don't share the divine nature. Each one possesses the divine nature totally. The Father possesses it totally. The Son possesses it totally. The Holy Ghost possesses it totally. Okay. Now we're in a more luminous darkness. Let's review. Since God is infinite spirit, any picture we make of the Most Holy Trinity is wrong. We can't help making pictures, because that's what our imagination does, but the picture is wrong. A mystery is an inexhaustible truth that we can never completely understand, but as we contemplate it, we can keep penetrating deeper and deeper into it, OK? Nature tells us what is it? Person tells us what, Nature tells us what is it and what can it do? Person tells us who is it, who's actually doing it. God's idea of himself, the eternal word, is a person. Just as God is absolutely and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love so also his idea is absolutely and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love. And so the Father and his idea of the Son, the Word, love each other with a perfect and infinite love. Each person pours himself out totally towards the other. They hold nothing back. And this love that the Father and the Son pour out towards each other is an eternal, unchanging, infinite person, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Most Blessed Trinity. The second person, the Word, the Son, proceeds from the Father, generated by way of the intellect. The third person, the Holy Ghost, proceeds from the Father and the Son by way of the will. God's three distinct persons, not three separate persons. These three divine persons do not share the divine nature. Each one possesses it totally. The Father possesses it totally. The Son possesses it totally. The Holy Ghost possesses it totally. Okay. Four things he can do. First, you can pray for light to come to a deeper understanding. Not a better picture. The picture isn't going to help. A deeper understanding of this mystery. Second, we want to ponder the words in the Sing Creed, which we're about to sing. Third, you can ponder the words in the preface of today's Mass. And if you're using the red missile, today's the one day it matches up with everything. And fourth, ponder the words in the Athanasian Creed. And that's printed in the bulletin today. It's a creed that goes into great detail, theological detail, on the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. Let's close with a passage from the Fourth Lateran Council, held in 1215. We firmly believe and simply confess that there is only one true God, eternal and immeasurable, almighty, unchangeable, incomprehensible and ineffable, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three persons, but absolute, one absolutely simple essence, substance, or nature. The Father is from none, the Son from the Father alone, and the Holy Ghost from both, equally, eternally, without beginning or end, the Father generating, the Son being born, and the Holy Ghost proceeding, consubstantial and co-equal, omnipotent, and co-eternal. And one of the most amazing things about all that is that when we're in this state of grace, all this procession, the Son proceeding from the Father and the Holy Ghost proceeding from both of them, is happening in the depths of our souls.